Welcome to the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Brian Russell, and today it's a real privilege to have back on the show uh, the Reverend Mark Danzi. Uh, Mark has been a friend of mine since 2019. In fact, uh, he personally coached me for a time, and I'm super grateful for what I've learned from Mark. And today, Mark is on as the executive director of Narrowgate Equipping for Life. It's a group that specializes in training men and women on what it really takes to make disciples in the world. And here's one of the quotes that Mark is going to share in the episode, but this will kind of tease out and give you a sense about what we're going to talk about. This is from uh, Mike Breen, who is a, a church uh consultant who works on making disciples as well. And Breen says, if you focus on the church, you rarely get disciples. But if you focus on disciples, you always get the church. Again, I know we have a lot of persons listening to this show that are interested in the Great Commission. This is a episode that's going to get into the weeds of what it looks like to create a disciple-making culture that allows churches to actually grow the way that Jesus grew places by focusing on making disciples first and empowering and training the people in our communities of faith to be able to replicate in the lives of others the experiences of grace that they've discovered. Again, you're going to love this conversation. And so let's jump into this talk again with Mark Danzi, Executive Director of Narrowgate. Hi, Mark. So great to have you back on the podcast. Great to be here. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, I want to talk about the specifically about discipleship, and you're now the executive director of, of Narrowgate. But before we talk about exactly what Narrowgate is, can you talk a little bit about your key moments where you learned about what discipleship is and what it isn't, and maybe some of the surprises that you learned about uh, the difference between thinking you're doing discipleship and really doing discipleship, uh, what some of those lessons were? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I've, I was raised in the Baptist church. I went to a Presbyterian seminary, but I was uh, exclusively a Methodist pastor for about 30 years. <laughs> so I'm a spiritual mutt. And um, in that time, I had um, the mission statement of the Methodist church globally is uh, making disciples of Jesus. Well, I didn't really know how to do that. Uh, I know how to do a lot of church things. I knew how to lead Bible studies, preach sermons, lead mission trips, even write Bible studies, those types of things. But I didn't know how to really make a disciple of Jesus. Um, and so uh, for 15 years plus, I guess I was doing the church thing and I had served every position, uh, so to speak, children's minister, recreation pastor, missions pastor, teaching pastor, family life pastor, and even discipleship pastor. Uh, although I really didn't know how to do that. Um, so I, be, I was at this large church uh, in the Atlanta area, and a, um, a business leader came in um, in our church. He was a lay leader, uh, very involved, and basically asked me what my plan for discipleship was here at this church. And uh, I just started throwing uh, all the ministry things that we do, like men's retreats, Bible studies, Sunday morning sermons, mission trip, all this type of stuff. And uh, he politely listened and finally said, uh, okay, well, that's not a plan. <laughs> and um, I was immediately offended because I had a seminary degree, ordained, life of ministry and all this. And um, I've been a pastor, you know, for over 15 years at that point. Um, 
but I felt like he knew something I didn't know. And he would come back around and ask me what my plan is. Do I have a plan yet? And I would sh- share with him all the program stuff that we were doing. And, and he would say, okay, well, that's a lot of good programs, but that's not a plan. <laughs> and so finally, uh, our conversation, I got a little exasperating for me, honestly. And uh, I was getting frustrated because I knew he knew something that I didn't know. And I finally said, if you have an idea, uh, he said, I said, then I'm, I'm all ears. And um, he basically invited me into a discipling relationship instead of giving me ideas. And uh, so I got to sit at the feet of Dr. John Musselman for a couple of years. And then this lay leader, Bill Lonis, who is also the founder of Narrowgate itself. And um, after sitting there, Brian, with, uh, with John and Bill and a couple of other pastors for about two years, um, I got to learn what historic disciple making looked like. Jesus's model of disciple making. I don't know how I missed it all those years. (laughs) Um, Again, seminary, Bible studies, church leadership conferences out the wazoo. I couldn't tell you how many conferences, church growth conferences I'd been to, leadership conferences. And nobody really ever, I'd just never seen it. And so until I saw discipleship in action and realized what it is and what it isn't, it's not the church programs I'd spent so much time on. Uh, then I began to um, just realign my whole life, actually, beyond my ministry, to making disciples who then are equipped to multiply. And that was part of the missing piece I had had before. I knew how to teach the Bible. I just didn't know how to teach you to teach the Bible or go reproduce yourself spiritually in the lives of others. I just didn't know how to do that. So that was pretty much my journey. Uh, I had my first group, which was uh, felt like a miserable failure. <laughs> uh, anytime you start out and do something for the first time, I don't know why we expect to be experts, right? Um, but spent three years with uh, six men. And um, I, they actually, amazing men, uh, grew spiritually. And uh, many of them are reproducing now. But I didn't know what I was doing in my first group. Uh, since then, I've probably had 15 different groups um, and of men uh, that I've discipled. My wife disciples women. And uh, now for the past, uh, I don't know, 16, 17 years, uh, it just changed my life, changed my ministry. Uh, and what I see about what Jesus said in the Great Commission, now it's personal. And, and you said something really remarkable there. Uh, in a sense, you, you actually allowed yourself to be discipled by a lay person, though you were an ordained person. Um, I mean, that seems unusual at some level because it takes a degree of humility to know that you needed, um, you know, to, to know something. So, have you found that you know you've done a lot of pastors? I know you coached for a long time, and you've been involved in a large church. It's like, is it unusual for uh, for pastors? And how hard is it for a pastor then to uh, you know say, hey, I need to learn something and not be the expert here? Is that is that the sticking point you see with most clergy? Including, you know, like I'm a clergy person myself, and that seems like that was pretty remarkable what you did. Well, true. Uh, now, Doctor Musselman uh, is an ordained Presbyterian pastor, okay. uh, and so you know him kind of leading the group probably helped, but two things come to my mind when you said that. One is uh, I'm a lifelong learner. Good. Uh, when I was um, when I was 18 years old, I was working at a gas station. You remember when you used to pull up to a gas station and people would fill up your car? 
for you. You remember that? I barely remember it, but yeah, I do. <laughs> Back in the forties? No, whatever. <laughs> um, anyway, I remember. I remember. I had to, this man had brought his car into a, the shop that I was working at, and I'm just right out of high school, you know, trying to figure out what I want to do. And um, so uh, they asked me if I w- he was going to have his car worked on, and it was in the it was in Athens near the University of Georgia, and they said, will you give him a ride to the university? He's in probably in his seventies. And here I am 18, you know, smell like gas and oil. And we get in this vehicle and we are driving, I'm driving to a class at university of Georgia. So I was like, Oh, what do you teach? And he said, uh, Oh, I'm not a teacher, son. I'm a, I'm a student. And he was almost 70. And I remember just thinking, and he said something to me that in that truck that day, I'll never forget it. He said, I'm what you call a lifetime learner. Mm. I'm taking a class. And I remember thinking that, Brian, and thinking a lifetime learner. And there's nothing more magic to that story other than I want to learn something every day. And I have found that lay leaders in a church have a lot more to teach pastors than pastors realize. Uh, There are people in our churches who are successful business leaders, coaches, uh, educators. And if the pastor thinks that they're the smartest one in the room, um, they're in the wrong room, right? So good. Uh, To to quote Rich Littman. So I just found uh, several years ago, by the grace of God, that um, as a pastor of a church, I wasn't the smartest one in the church. And I could learn a lot. And so um, that's one reason that I felt like I was able to be discipled by a non-ordained <laughs> clergy, so to speak. Uh, and then the other is, is, um, is just some ancient wisdom I ran across one day, and I, I, would, I can't remember who said it, I would quote them, but it was basically, um, everybody you meet knows something you don't know, learn from them. And so I've just taken on those mantras as, um, and especially in disciple making, uh, one of our friends of the ministry is uh, a guy named Chip Ingram, and he writes a lot of books and teaches and speaks a lot. If you've ever heard Chip speak, he was discipled by a bricklayer. Uh, he was, <laughs> he'll go back to the guy who was, you know, and every once a week he would meet with Chip and he discipled him. Well, then his real job was he laid bricks. So I think some of the best disciple makers in the world don't have Reverend in front of their name. or or authors. I really think there's some people out there that just get what Jesus did and they're literally discipling others. So what are some of the things that Jesus did that, that you've learned and what you do at narrow gate and maybe you should actually just start and say like, what is narrow gate? And that was called narrow gate originally equipping, equipping for life. So what is narrow gate and what is it doing regarding discipleship that in, in your in your mind puts it more in line with the way that Jesus made disciples than, you know, like, you know, like you could go buy my book invitation and use it in a small group and call that a discipleship program, though it's that that it's just a book in a in a tape. So what's what's different about narrow gate from from say some other ministries? Well, um what we are focused on is um is truly training men and women to maturity. Yeah, spiritual maturity, but also with a multiplication lens in mind to the fourth generation, uh, which is what Paul taught Timothy. So the approach that makes it 
unique, I think, to what we're we're doing, and there are other people doing variations of this too. I don't want to sound like we're <laughs> the only ones doing it, but is basically um, the first part of this process comes from Dr. Robert Coleman's book, uh, Master Plan of Evangelism, and that is uh, selection and association. Um, historically in a church, what we'll do is we'll put on a sign, hey, we're starting a Bible study on Wednesday nights. Does anybody want to come? Well, we never see Jesus doing that. We never see him walking around the Sea of Galilee with a sign, hey, I'm looking for some disciples if anybody's got, you know, no, we, we don't do it that way. As a pastor, when I was pastoring uh, and I started new discipleship groups, I never announced it. I wanted to hand select who was going to be in it. And that's one of the principles we see from Jesus. He hung around these men and then he selected them uh, based on um, who he thought was ready and who the father had told him, John 17, right? So we really do a selection process. Um, but then there, the intentional part of that is at the end of three years, if I'm, let's say I vanish from the earth <laughs> in whatever means, will the men that I've been discipling be ready then to multiply? And I've got to start with that end in mind and then work backwards because what do I want them to know? What do I want to impart in their life over this three-year period uh, to get them ready? The vast majority of Christians in a church today uh, would make disciples if they knew what to do, but they've never been trained to. They've never been held accountable for it. Uh, we've just told them to, you know, be nicer, read the Bible and uh, <laughs> tell somebody about Christ, you know, and then invite them to church. That's kind of like that's kind of, you know, the the goal here. But Jesus didn't say go make churches. He said go make disciples. And if you interview the average man or woman in a church and you say, what's your process for doing this? You hear crickets. Uh, and I put that on people like myself, clergy, who we didn't train them because we didn't know. <laughs> right. So we really spend a lot of time on helping somebody, meeting them where they're at, inviting them into a process of accountability that creates spiritual maturity. At the end of that process, though, I want to spend the last couple of months trying to take away the excuses. Because if you ask somebody, are you ready to go disciple four or five people? And if they say no, I want to know why not. And they'll usually say, because I don't feel like I know enough. Or, I don't feel like I'm equipped enough. Or I don't, I don't know this is my gift. <laughs> well, discipleship's not a spiritual gift, right? Right. <laughs> it's the Great Commission. Um, and so I just want to spend uh, some of that time taking away the excuses. What do you need to know to be able to disciple someone? And that's going to then drive the content that we use. Um, so... Whether we're in the Apprentice of Jesus model, which is purely with men and women in our congregations, or if we're in the Commission Institute model, which is purely with pastors, we do both. And so we will literally disciple pastors to change the culture of their church to one of disciple making. And that's challenging if you've been in this program model um, for your whole ministry. So that's we don't necessarily say, here's a book of curriculum. If you do this at the end, you'll be a disciple who makes disciples. <laughs> it's more of a modular system where we pull different things at different times based on what our participants are in need of. That's a couple of the things that sets us apart. And what are just, a, uh, without getting way into the weeds, you, you know, you're talking about helping people to grow and become mature so that they can make disciples. 
What right now are you seeing? Again, it's it's 2022 and we're talking. It's been really difficult for most everybody in different ways over the last couple of years. And we've seen a lot of, um, I guess, this inner junk arise that creates anxiety and a lot of anger. It's just... What, what blocks have you seen, this can be long-term or even just recently, that are, that, that are the issues that men and women struggle with to try to come to spiritual maturity? Uh, well, you know, this is true post-pandemic as well as before the pandemic. It's, um, m- many people think that it's the responsibility of their church mm. to train them to spiritual maturity. Or their only connection with the spiritual life is the church they go to or the church they used to go to. <laughs> and so I'll ask people all the time, you know, uh, you know, are you a believer? And, oh, yeah. Oh, great. Well, tell me about, uh, you know, what's the Lord doing in your life or, you know. And what I'll typically hear is, again, the church they go to or the church they should go to more or the church they used to go to. And it's like connecting the faith life outside of a church uh, is in some ways foreign. Um, but I put that in a lot of clergy, uh, I understand. I mean, I was a pastor for over 30 years and the, the desire was to get more people in my church, uh, and have more people on Sundays. Well, the pandemic has ripped that bandaid off (laughs) and getting people to come back to church from the pandemic is a, is an issue that most clergy are dealing with around the world. We deal with clergy. We have pastors in Ukraine, Poland, Russia. Central America. I mean, we have we have pastors that we work with all over the U.S. and everybody's dealing with the same issue there. Mm-hmm. And it's because we thought Jesus said, "Hey, go now, go into all the world and make churches." Well, he didn't say that. He said, "Go make disciples." So, as Mike Breen says, and I like it, he says, "If you focus on church, you rarely get disciples. But if you focus on disciples, you'll always get the church." So good. And I just think that the. Uh, the, the vast majority of um, people, Christians around the world, associate it as that the ch- it's the church's responsibility. I don't think that. I think it's our own responsibility to grow spiritually. And if the church that you're in is not um, aiding and abetting you in that or assisting you in that, then you need to find something different, a church that's aligned with, you know, disciple making. Uh, so that's, I would say that's um, realizing that we don't, when we disciple men and women, we historically have tried not to do it in the church. So it didn't feel like another church program. So my groups have been in the offices of CEOs around our city, in my home on Monday nights, um, different office spaces around the, the community. Uh, that's where we like to really give discipleship a different feel than it's just a Bible study or a Sunday school class. So we like to take it actually purposely outside the church to do it. Yeah. And, and I'm going to, I have a, a couple more questions, but when we just talk about, yeah. you had the principle of selection <clears throat> and that is really interesting because it is, it is kind of fun. You read Matthew, you know, Jesus specifically invites different people to follow him. And then you have those really interesting passages where somebody wants to follow Jesus and he basically tells them, no, <laughs> so mean. right, right. right. <laughs> um, and there's obviously there's re- there's reasons for that, but like, you know, there's, a lot of pastors, a lot of Methodist pastors are listening to this and we'll talk about if they want to connect with Narragate here towards the end. But like for the pastors listening, I'm going to ask, and you can give you two questions in one, like what's, what's the basic 
framework for deciding who you might invite into a discipling a relationship versus who you wouldn't invite. And then if for lay people that are listening, that may be like, you know, I'd love to actually get involved and I've learned how to, I've been discipled and I want to begin to reach other people. Um, how does a lay person who's not a pastor invite people into a relationship of discipleship? So I'd like to hear kind of from both ways. So like how does selection work for a pastor? How does selection work for a lay person? Uh, there are some differences. The first different, the first thing I would say though, which are the same is I think what makes this so different is to literally pray for the mm. father to send people to you that, yeah. that need to be discipled. It's John 17, six, Jesus said, I was faithful to the ones you gave me. Yeah. We miss that. And we think that Jesus just went around with his wit, savvy and experienced and kind of hand selected kids like on a dodgeball team, right? <laughs> no, the father told him which ones. So I think it changes for a pastor when he says, Lord, reveal to me who you want me to disciple. And then the spiritual antennas go up and we start looking and listening to conversations differently. We start seeing who greets us at the back door of a Sunday morning differently or who were just um, showing some interest spiritually. Then what I like to do is write their names down and for, then commit to about six months of just praying over these individuals. Uh, as I'm launching, as I'm going to launch a group. So if I was going to start a group, I would purposely wait six to eight months before I started the group because I need six to eight months to begin to pray and select. Now, when you go to a person, Brian, and you, and if I were to say, hey, Brian, um, as, as your pastor, you know, let's go to coffee again as we've been meeting and talking or whatever. And I would ask you uh, if I felt like the Lord was somebody that wanted you to be in my group, I would say to you, you know, Brian, I'm, I have literally been praying over you every day for the last six months. The Lord gave me your name. And I know we've been meeting for breakfast or coffee or whatever, but I have literally been praying about a group I'm starting. And I feel like, um, you know, I'd be honored for you to be in the group. And uh, I don't want you to answer now. I want you to pray. But just know that you have been on my mind and heart. And I've been praying for you now for, say, six months, whatever the time frame is. People are blown away by that. Uh, I'm not publicizing the group. I'm not casting the net. <laughs> I'm literally going to um, only invite a few people that I feel like the Lord has um, inclined me to. And you're one of them. And so that's the way as a pastor, I would do that. I rarely got rejected. Uh, later in the group life, I would ask, how did you get into this group? They would kind of look around like that's a strange question and say, well, you invited me. And I said, oh, well, what was it about the invitation that made you say yes? And the vast majority of people will say, when you told me you'd been praying for me <laughs> and that the Lord, you know, put you, me on your heart, I, how could I resist that? And I've just found that it's Jesus's model. He prayed, came back and then selected, right, Matthew um, or Mark 3, 14, actually. So I think that that selection process is me as the disciple maker, literally putting up my spiritual antennas and listening, who is it that is looking for this, that would benefit from this kind of relationship. Now, there are, we kind of have a filter that we look at, which is five things that we, as I'm praying and I'm, and I'm observing in the selection process, 
I want to find men who, and my wife would be doing this with women, who are, number one, we call it FAITH is the acronym, F-A-I-T-H. Number one, who, who is it that's faithful? They're showing some elements of faithfulness in their life. If we say we're going to meet, they show up. <laughs> um, you see them around at church. They're, they've just got some aspects of faithfulness to their character. The second one is available. Look, if I'm going to have this group on Tuesday mornings at 6 a.m., but you're out of town every Tuesday morning, it's not going to work. So you got to, you know, that's got to work. The third one is intentional. Are they showing any aspects of their life that are intentional? You know, do they, do they have a Bible study regimen? Do they, are they serving in any way? You know, if they're just like a firefly kind of person who flies by the seat of their pants, they're probably not going to appreciate the structure of a group that I'm putting together. Then um, teachable is the T. And this would be somebody who just shows, you know, they want to learn. They, um, they enjoy learning. You might see them in services with actually a notepad out, taking notes. Uh, they've got some aspects of teaching, but they sign up for, they've signed up for classes historically, those types of things. And then finally, the H is hungry. Mm -hmm. um, Jesus said it, you know, unless you, hung, you know, if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you'll be filled, filled. So I don't want somebody who just wants to show up and, you know, because they don't have anything else to do. <laughs> the group life is not going to be dynamic that way. So if somebody doesn't at least uh, look similar to the uh, faithfulness, available, intentional, teachable, and hungry model, then I'm probably not going to invite them into the group. Uh, so that's, as a clergy, that's kind of the lens I'm looking through. Uh, as a lay person, and we have a lot of lay leaders who are disciple-making, um, you know, it's really the same principle. Pray. Ask God to give you these people. But the reason that God hasn't, I think, historically given us people to disciple is because we don't know what we'd do if he did. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> so the question that becomes, well, who should I disciple? Well, we just say whoever God gives you. People don't. They're not crazy about that answer because they want me to give them a roster. of, You know, <laughs> they want me to stock the room for them, so to speak. But I'm not going to do that as their pastor. I can't do that. It's whoever God gives you. And then finally, what would you do if he did give you five men? Um, what would you? What are you inviting him to? Could you explain it? What would the end look like? What do you want the finished product here to be? Um, and so I think you have to develop what you would do uh, before God gives us the who we would <laughs> disciple. Yeah, and so and say a little bit. You've said it a couple different times. So God's going to give you men, and you talk about um, what your wife does with women. You know, there's some people listening that are used to more inclusion, and you're seeing more and more relationships with men and women working in workplaces. So, again, and there's different ideas about this in ministry. Uh, but what what do you ever have mixed groups? If I'm a, a a female pastor listening, is there something for me? Um, is there, is there, are there rule? I mean, so, I mean, what are like the best practices that you've come up with? Cause, uh, um, and I just like to hear you talk about uh, the differences between, you know, without getting, uh, your approach in terms of dealing with uh, mixed groups or versus of only male groups or only female groups. Yeah. Well, one of the things that we see immediately that makes a discipleship group different than a Bible study or a Sunday school class is the level of depth these relationships get to. 
Yeah. Um, in a Bible study, it's really easy to hide. I mean, the teacher knows about the Bible and they teach you about the Bible and you ask some questions and that's about it. In a discipleship group, though, we, um, we're focusing on knowledge, which is like a Bible study, but we're also focusing on skill and character. Yeah. And when you start getting down into the skills of a disciple and then, the, again, the character, the prayer requests get deeper, more personal. We share our faith journeys. Like I will go first in the group and share my, the story of my faith life. And I'm going to share some pain in there, you know, all kinds of challenges that I've dealt with. Um, and they're going to be confidential. I, it's my story to tell, not your story. So let's keep it in this room. And as a pastor, that it takes being vulnerable to be able to do that. But uh, what I found is it's, it's always better to side on the area of vulnerability when it comes to disciple making. But just understand, if I had people popping in and popping out of this group, I can't be that confidential, right? Now, being that confidential, there are just challenges that women face that men don't understand yeah, and funny. vice versa. There are challenges that men face that women don't understand. And so when it comes to what's appropriate to share, what's inappropriate to share, I think more inappropriate things start to surface when we commingle the genders. Um, you know, walk to Emmaus figured this out. They just don't have it, you know, men and women together on these retreats. Um, and we found that within this life of this discipleship group, we may go away for the weekend. Well, that's challenging if you've got single men and single women or some couples and some are not. And, you know, there's all kinds of challenges that come up with this. Now, we think every year that we're going to figure out a way to disciple men and women together. <laughs> and every year we come up with the same challenges that there's a level of depth that men can can share and a level of depth that women can share that tends to rise a little shallower when men and women are commingled. So to date, to this point, we've just found that men with men and women with women is really the best way. Now, there are some couples groups that meet as couples, but then they'll spend some accountability time, you know, one-offing. For instance, if uh, you take John Wesley serious, and I do, and you look at some of the questions he asked his bands, which yes. is some of the questions we ask, you know, what, you know, what sin are you struggling with currently? Well, just think about it. If a man's struggling with pornography, is he going to share that with a woman who, <laughs> in a discipleship group, maybe, or maybe not? It gets uncomfortable vice, at some level, depending on what the topics are. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so I just think it compromises it the, the depth. Uh, and I don't want to, I don't want to say that as a blanket statement that applies right, right. to everybody because it's very well maybe possible somebody can pull this off. We have not been able to pull it off yet, though. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, I appreciate the answer because I just want to make sure everybody clear that this isn't Mark. He only works with men or the narrow gates only for that. Or we have some old fashioned view. This is really has deep roots. Like you said, Wesley's band specifically did this. And again, and, and also that's the very fact that you're open to potentially doing something in the future. But I just want to make sure this is clear that, you know, if people aren't signing up for some kind of old fashioned view about men and women, this is more about just yeah. giving people the freedom to essentially, I mean, um, really to get um, completely vulnerable with another and be 100% safe and that there's topics that you could broach with when you're with the same sex that 
would be potentially offensive or really uncomfortable. And this isn't about segregating or denigrating women to certain roles. This is really about giving each person a place, at least what I'm hearing from you, to actually grow and flourish into a person that can, you know, to reach others with the gospel. And I think that's, and so I appreciate everything that you just said there. So thanks for clarifying yeah. that. Well, we have women's groups, lots of them. We have women pastors group, women clergy groups. I have lots of them. And um, so we're, you know, it, there are men and women uh, deeply involved in Narragate uh, for that, from that perspective. But to your point, when you're, when your relationships are getting deeper and in, deeper and more vulnerable, pastors are, most pastors are fearful of being vulnerable. And the way the systems have been set up is that if a pastor admits to some uh, challenge or that they're facing in their life, it could cost them their credentials. It could cost yes. them their ministry or their position or their appointment. So, you know, <laughs> I understand that fear, uh, but when it comes to disciple making, you know, there's eventually the, the group bonds so well and trust is so developed that we hear from men and women all the time that this is the most healing experience that they've been a part of, that they've experienced when it comes to spiritual growth. Um, again, because as James said, right, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so you'll be healed. Well, a discipleship group is the perfect place to live that scripture out. We also, again, see it in the life of Wesley. If you uh, ask a uh, Methodist pastor, so to speak, tell me about, you know, your, you, you know, your model, or your understanding of Wesley's ministry. We all have the societies and the classes. But then when you get to the bands, that seems to have been historically the missing piece that and and that's what narrogate's really focused on and, and it sounds like and again i'm not a complete wesley expert um but a lot of times when we think about banding at least it allows it's it's and banding has been a big deal coming out of groups like new room which a lot of listeners would go to, to the new room conference and yeah. uh, i know asbury seminary we even put people in dna groups which are really the banded relationships which are about holiness and sanctification but what it sounds like narrowgate does is it's not just about character and holiness, which is obviously a great end, but it's a missional holiness is what I'm hearing you say when we're becoming holy precisely because we need to reduplicate these things. So the banded isn't an end in itself to become sanctified. If we want to use a theological word, it's I'm going to embrace holiness in my life so that I can reflect Jesus's character in the world as I pass the faith on to another person. And I love that. What a great, uh, add on to the traditional Wesley band, if I'm hearing you right. Well, it's the only way that the church is going to grow. Amen. I mean, one of the reasons the church has declined over the years, and we can point to a number of, of reasons, but um, I don't know what denomination everybody's listening to here, but if you go to your denominational meetings, they're probably not floored with growth over the last 25, 30 years. <laughs> it's been the opposite, right? And the reason is, is because what we've been doing has not been empowering the average Christian man or woman to go make disciples of Jesus. I mean, let's just be honest. They don't know how to do it because we haven't modeled it for them because we didn't know how to do it because most of our seminaries didn't really train us to do that. There are some bright spots out there, but for the most part, um, when I ask a pastor and I ask this, I've asked this question to hundreds of pastors, Brian, what's the best book you've ever read on the disciple making process and I rarely get an answer. 
uh, a satisfying answer of a good book that's on the disciple making process. There haven't been a lot of them on, on that. We're seeing a resurgence of that now, which is great. But books aren't going to change the world either. We need people. We need apprenticeships. We need people uh, elbow to elbow with others teaching them how to, to do this. Jesus did it. Paul did it. Wesley did it. Um, and, uh, and now it's our turn to really model uh, this content. There's, there's some good content out there. But you can't throw a book in front of somebody and then read it and they become a disciple of Jesus who knows how to make disciples. So we do spend quite a bit of time on skill development. Uh, and, you know, we can talk more in detail about that if we have time. But um, knowledge, skill, and character are what equips a person to be able to live out the Great Commission as a lifestyle. So if somebody's listening to this and they're like, I want to learn how to make disciples, um, like what, what's, who's the ideal candidate to reach out and say, hey, I'd love to take a look at what Narrow Gate has for me and how could a person get in contact w- t- with you? Well, the ideal person would be somebody who um, recognizes there's a little bit to learn in what it means to, to be and make disciples. Um, the B part is what you said. Let's just meet together. Let's get, you know, let's work on our own sanctification and let's just be a better Christian. Let's just be a, uh, let's be somebody who loves Jesus and is in communion with Jesus. It, it's the make part that we think, well, that's for professionals. Well, that's for people who have the gift of evangelism, right? I'm just so happy that my group's been meeting in the basement of this church for 10 years. Isn't that awesome? And I usually say, that's tragic. <laughs> okay, what if in Acts chapter 2, the, those gathered in the upper room, if you'd have gone back 10 years later, they'd still be gathered in the upper room. Would we say that was a success? <laughs> no. What happened? They dispersed, right? So I really believe that um, that the shelf life of a group, every group has a shelf life. And if the group is to just huddle together because we like each other, well, that's fine, but don't call that a discipleship group. That's a fellowship group. A discipleship group comes together for the for a defined period of time to impart knowledge, skill, and character so that they can then multiply. And um, who would be a candidate for that? Anybody who loves the Lord and wants to be better at learning how to make disciples who make disciples. That would be a great candidate. Uh, Pastors, we have pastors of small churches, large churches, denominational leaders, um, nonprofit leaders, anybody that's interested in being and making disciples would be a candidate. Um, and the different ways that we do this is um, we put together cohort groups uh, specifically for pastors called the Commission Institute. And we're starting those all over the place all, all the time. I would just have them contact us and say, how can I get more information about being in one of these groups? Uh, thanks to Zoom, we've been able to <laughs> um, turn the world into Zoombies, right? We can all meet by Zoom and um, it's, uh, being in person is ideal but being on Zoom is effective. And so we have pastors, uh, again, all over the world um, who we meet on Zoom and we can run these institute groups this way as well. So uh, anybody that wants to be, uh, wants to reach out to us, narrowgateefl.com is our website. And uh, you can get uh, 
find out there how to contact me. I'm on the page. Um, and there's even a button you can schedule time with me. Just schedule and, and uh, you and I will we'll meet online and I'll try to answer any questions you have about what it means to, uh, to be and make, not just to be. I love that. And just to, to clarify for folks that may be listening. So like, let's say I'm a, um, a very capable, committed lay person. Um, at this point, again, Narrowgate may have some boundaries around that. Do you actually have something like the Commission Institute for lay persons, or do you recommend it is at least you all are specializing essentially on, on actual uh, on folks that are clergy at this point? Yes, we do. Uh, and we have some um, workshops that we can provide uh, okay. for folks online. We can meet. We've had lay people ask us to come to their church with their pastor's permission. And uh, we've done workshops, weekend workshops, overnight things. Okay, um, what, what has happened historically, and I find it interesting, is that a, pa- a lay person will go to their pastor and ask them about the disciple making process. And when they, if their pastor is like I was, and just give them all the program ideas that we have going on, um, and they get dissatisfied with that, we've actually had lay people introduce us to their pastor. Uh, and in, when the pastor's teachable and humble and hungry, uh, it's transla- translated into a relationship with that church. Um, we are not trying to be the church. We're not trying to replace any part of church. We're just, we've just seen the deficiency of the disciple-making process in most churches and are just trying to help churches figure out how to do this for themselves. And so whether that's through workshops or being in one of these committed long-term groups, Uh, Or if it's just coaching, you know, one of the things we learned, Brian, um, is that if a person knows now has been trained, but then they're not coached on how to implement that change, it it falls off the radar. And so we actually have several coaches on staff um, and uh, we provide coaching for pastors on how to transition your church from a program based ministry to a disciple making ministry. So that's another option for people. They can hire a coach um, to work one-on-one or even with their teams to learn how to do this. Great. Let me just ask a a final uh, question. Um, You you mentioned um, Robert Coleman's book, uh, Master's Plan. So um, maybe talk a little bit about that. Are there other resources that you have found helpful over the years if somebody just wanted to start with a book before they reached out or that, or that, that might be helpful for them? Like what are the, what are the best resources right now that you've found if you're going to say there's two or three really good books that have helped you in your making of disciples outside of the Bible, of course. Yeah. 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 Well, um, so Greg Ogden wrote a book called Transforming Discipleship. And Greg, uh, like many of us, was a pastor and saw the deficiencies. Uh, Greg, we use his book in our institute. And then Greg usually comes online and meets us and talks to us about his stories. Really great guy. Um, so Transforming Discipleship by Greg Ogden is one I would um, that we use and encourage. Uh, I really like the book by Dallas Willard called The Great Omission. Mm. Um, instead of the Great Commission. (laughs) And he talks about in there mostly how discipleship has been omitted. Uh, We we may have a department called the discipleship department, but really it's just Christian education. Um, Yeah, it's it's not holistic disciple making as we see in the life of Christ or the early church. It's it's more Sunday school classes, Bible studies, women's groups, those types of things. The Great Omission by Dallas Willard. And then course the master plan is a is just a go-to book i i work with everybody on it's just too what dr coleman gave us there is just too 
too good <laughs> to not have experienced. And then there's another one of our uh, guys that we really like and work with too, uh, Robbie Gallaty uh, out of uh, Nashville. He wrote a book called Replicate. And um, it's a good how-to book on um, how to replicate disciple-making in your church. Uh, I will say that no book that we recommend stands on its own as go read this book and you'll know how to do it. You really need to be in a room with others doing this. You need coaching on it. You need um, to figure out what's going to fit in your unique culture. Uh, and good. so that's what the Narrowgate process really does. We're practitioners. We're not selling bunches of books and we're not selling curriculum. <laughs> Matter of fact, anything on our website, if you see it, you can have it. Um, and, um, and there's lots of teachings on there, lots of lots of resources. Uh, but I would say those would be probably three or four books that come to mind. And when you talk, just to be clear on the on the Coleman book, is because he's famous for a couple of different books. Or you're doing you 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 all recommend the Master Plan of Discipleship or the Master Plan of Evangelism, or is it both of them that you found to be helpful? The Master Plan of Evangelism uh, is the one that we use. Okay. Uh, he, um, he wrote this book, I think in 1962 or 63, uh, when he was a professor of evangelism at Asbury. Yeah. Um, he literally said, tells the story that um, he didn't know about evangelism or how to teach it. So he got the four gospels out, laid them out side by side and decided he was going to study how Jesus did it. Figure, well, let's learn from the best, right? And as a result of that, what he saw was um, a, a, an actual plan that Jesus had not of evangelism, but of disciple making. And he'll say in the book that his plan for world evangelism was the disciple making process. So, you know, the book sounds confusing, Master Plan of Evangelism, but it really is a book on the, the eight steps that Jesus took to disciple the 12. And we can use those same eight steps in 2022 to disciple men and women ourselves. So good. It's good. Yeah. Well, Mark, I want to be fair to the time that we said that we'd give, but I want to, I just want to say grateful for you, grateful for your ministry. Um, I'll say, I will have said this in the intro, but you were one of the people that coached me and poured into my life. I've known you now for over three and a half years, and it's been a total privilege. And I'm just grateful that you came on and shared this valuable information with everybody that's listening today. Thank you, Brian. And again, if anybody wants to reach out on our website, uh, you can schedule time with me right there and uh, we'll, We'll get together and figure out what it is the Lord's calling you to do. And any way we can be helpful, that's that's what we want to do. And give us the website one more time out loud. Yeah, Narrowgate, E-F-L. E-F-L stands for equippingforlife.com, narrowgateefl.com. All right, and thank you so much, everyone, for listening all the way to the end of this week's episode of the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. Until next time, remember, show up, pay attention. God's got way more invested in what's going on than even we think we do.